All right, well, uh, we're getting into 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and just continuing picking up where we left off. Um, so, yeah, get to talk about some exciting stuff. Uh, Rich and I were just talking, and so we get to talk about the man of lawlessness uh, this time, which he is going to tell us exactly who that is and, <laughs> and, give us, <laughs> and give us all the details. He's going to tell us everything we've ever wanted to know about the man of lawlessness. Um, I guess just uh, to make sure we're <laughs> keeping in mind like the themes that Paul is addressing and the things he's trying to uh, get across. I think we talked about this a lot last week about just how much he wants them to be considered worthy of the kingdom and to be just continue to be faithful and to stand firm. And that to me in chapter two, that that's going to be another focus he's going to make is that I want you to stand firm. And there are, uh, this is a good group that they have uh, faith that is growing. They have love that is increasing their reasons for Paul to boast, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to be just bombarded with, difficulties, whether it's different teachings, different ideas. It also doesn't mean that they're not going to be sitting there wondering how long they're going to have to endure all of these difficulties. And that maybe this is helpful to think about, but if, if you know that uh, this is going to be hard and it's like a long road ahead, the last thing you need is for while you're on that path, for someone to be giving you like little glimpses of false hope. And I, I do wonder if that's something that they're dealing with is just the false teaching is just as they're on this long journey, that's difficult. They're provided with a new way, a new way to think about things or a little, what people are saying is a hopeful thing, but really what Paul's going to wind up saying is like, that's false and that's leading you astray. So Richard, what do you think about that? Do you have any other things to maybe add before we jump in? Yeah, no, it, it's it's an interesting balance in Thessalonians because what I, what I find is I need to get my mind off the world <clears throat> and more into eternity. And it seemed like their mind was on eternity, but with the wrong spin or with the wrong interpretation and mm-hmm. with the wrong application, right? Yeah. So you don't want to you don't want to read Thessalonians and say ah come out of Thessalonians and in the application as well. We need to just think more about this world and keep our feet on the ground and, you know, nose to the grindstone kind of thing. That's not what Paul is saying um, is exactly what your point is. We need to have hope in the correct hope and not hope in false hopes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, let's go ahead and, and jump in. Um, I'll go ahead and read the first, uh, I don't know. What do you think? Maybe take the first four verses. Yeah. All right. I'll go ahead and read. Well, the first, the first, the first five, five would be good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. First five. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you brothers not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be a God, excuse me, to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things. All right, so the fact that in verse 1, he says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, we talked about this last week, that First and Second Thessalonians is so much about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the funny thing is that it's almost like chapter 1, he was talking about some other things that still had to do with the coming, but it's like chapter 2, he's basically saying like, all right, now I'm really going to get into that, right? And I think it's because they must have just been waiting for him to directly address some of these misconceptions about the coming of Jesus, uh, the second coming of Jesus. And I, I, I kind of feel like, I kind of feel like in first Corinthians uh, where we know that they had some questions for Paul. So he's like writing a response. 
I feel like that's kind of how they would receive this is like maybe it took a few minutes to read the first chapter, right? And then all of a sudden, whoever's reading this aloud to the group, he says, now concerning the cut there. And then everybody's like, okay, here we go. All right. This is what we've been waiting for, you know? Um, and I don't know, like I, the, what he winds up getting into is stuff that maybe would not initially seem super hopeful to them just as they're hearing it. Right. Do you have, what do you think about, about that, Richard? Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, the first, the first chapter, he, he's like describing what the coming is going to be like. These people are going to be raised and there's going to be flaming fire and vengeance and his angels. And well, that, that's not, that doesn't seem to be what they're struggling with. What they're struggling with is the timing. Yeah. When did it happen? Did it happen already? Is it, is it going to happen in the next 20 minutes? Like, you know, do I, do I need to divest myself of all physical belongings or, you know, whatever their issue seems to be the timing and what am I supposed to do to prepare for it? And in fact, there are some people telling us that it came. Yeah. Like the day of the Lord is is gone. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the details that he talks about in these verses aren't, aren't hopeful, like <clears throat> the apostasy and the man of lawlessness and all that stuff. But if, if I'm really stressing out because I think the day of the Lord is in the past, then I don't really care how bad the signs are. As long as it's still in the future and I have something to hope in, well, then yeah. it's going to help me. Yeah, I mean, so that makes sense why what he says in verse 2 is, I don't want you to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. So I don't want you to get rattled. I don't want you to freak out, <laughs> which look, I, I mean, if, if what people were telling them is, Oh, Christ already came, you know, so all those things that you were hoping in, all those things you thought were going to happen, that it was going to be good for you. And there's going to be bad for all these people that are afflicting you and everything. Yeah. That, that already happened. So what are you, what are you talking about now? I, I can't imagine sitting there and listening to that and still being like, okay, all right, I'm going to keep on, you know, no, I, I would, it would be jarring to, to hear that. And I think that's why I like what he goes on to say is the things that they should watch out for is, uh, are, uh, a spirit, a spoken word, a letter seeming to be from us. I mean, people were just kind of seeming to pull out all the stops to try to like really shake the Christians in Thessalonica. And I I guess what I don't understand is why, like why would people be uh, telling the Christians that? And maybe another question would be if some of these people that are saying this are Christians themselves, are believers themselves, why would they be saying these things about Christ has already come and things like that? Like what, what benefit is there to, for them to believe that. Yeah. I mean, I, whenever I think about false teachings like that, that we, we try to understand the motivation or, or the root of it. I think it boils down to what you read in second Peter and Jude about false teachers. Yeah. False teachers are always, always led away by their own passions first, their own desires and their own flesh, their own sensuality, right. Mm-hmm. That causes them to go try to get people to follow them for whatever reason. So, I mean, we can, we can hypothesize all kinds of arguments that they might've provided, but <clears throat> if these guys are really like second Peter false teachers, then what they're doing is they're looking for a following. They're coming in after Paul and they're saying, Hey, I've got, I've got version two. Paul was version one. Let me tell you about version two. Oh yeah. That thing Paul said you need to hope for it's already come. Let me tell you something else. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, we, we can't know every instance of it, but I mean, that had to be a lot of it. It was just people seeking followers. Right. Yeah. So second Peter is what I thought of too. And the things that he mentions, that Peter mentions there, same things you said, sensuality, greed, uh, just it's self seeking. And it is, uh, he even calls them um, uh, like fornicators and adulterers. So like they're, they're just seeking to satisfy themselves. They have their own lusts and they're just satisfying that by uh, getting a following. And there might've even been some monetary benefit, I suppose, but I don't even know if that would for sure been what they would have been concerned about. It seems to be what people are concerned about now is that 
watch out for people that want money from you. <laughs> and sure, I, I guess that could be true, but more than anything, just like be careful with people who are seeking themselves. And I'm not saying that means everything that comes out of their mouth is wrong, but everything that they say needs to be upheld to the word of God, to the truths that we know from those that God has sent to provide us truth. And it, it just really needs to be taken uh, with a grain of salt. And just, we need to be careful. Like, you know, just be watchful and careful, I think. Well, and if those guys know what they're doing, 99% of what comes out of their mouth, it will be true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like you said, you have to pay attention to everything. Yeah. It'll, it'll be that one thing or that there's two things that are part of a bigger thing that wind up being uh, false. Yeah. So when, when he gets into saying that day, so he says concerning the coming of our Lord in verse one, then verse three, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. So it seems pretty clear that uh, while I'm, I'm not going to be able to, nor would I even try to, uh, especially not on a record, on a recording, try to uh, <laughs> say everything I think that some of these things could mean. One thing I do know is that Paul is very clearly saying that day has not come yet, and it is coming in the future, and here are some signs, some things that will help you to know um, when it is coming. But it's not about figuring out exactly when it's coming. It's just knowing it hasn't happened yet. That's, that's what I read from that. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I get. I don't think Paul is giving them a list here of things that they can say, okay, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to sit on my front porch and watch for the apostasy and then check. Okay, that's step one. Right. And, you know, and then I'm going to look for the son of destruction. Uh, okay, you know, st- I, don't, I don't think he's doing that. I think what he's saying is there's so many other things that will happen before he comes mm-hmm. that not only has that not happened, Many, many other things haven't happened yet. And, and these are big, important things. These, you know, I don't think he's trying to give them some physical sign that they can use to diagnose the coming. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and even, if, um, even if it could be confirmed, like, who is the man of lawlessness? Who is the son of destruction? And all, all of that stuff. I'm not going to say none of that matters because the way that Paul talks about these things, it does matter. Um, especially when you look at the effect that this person or these people have on, on all of us, but on, on believers specifically, like it is a big deal. I mean, anytime someone is going to make himself and proclaim himself to be a God, that's something we should care about. But that is all in the context of just the coming of the Lord. So these things don't matter as much as just, coming of the Lord is the focus. So right. and I'm not trying to skirt or get around the actual things that he says, but I think it's important to, to know that the substance and the, what matters most, it seems to Paul and what he wants them to focus on most is just the coming of the Lord because it hasn't happened yet. So you need to still be looking for it. Um, so yeah. All right. Well, you want to talk about the man of lawlessness? Um, (laughs) no, but I'll just tell you my opinion. My opinion is that it's a character. Yeah. Uh, It's a, it's a type of person. It's a a population, right? It's a defining, it's a defining character of a population or or whatever. And, and what's not given in this text is, is that, is that a defining character of, of, people in the church, right? Or because it's talking about an apostasy. Mm-hmm. Or is it a defining character of a, you know, a, a, a population in the world, like a, gener- a general population or outside? Like, these are the people outside the church. I mean, he doesn't specify any of that. But I, I, I don't think it's a single person who has a name, who has a defined lifespan, that that when they die, that's the end of the man of lawlessness. I, I don't think that that's what that's talking about. Would you compare this at all to how John speaks of the Antichrist in first? Yeah. John? Okay. I, I, I'm not going to say it's exactly the right thing because 
John says there were many antichrists already, which, which, so those are individual people, but the spirit of the antichrist is one spirit, right? That pervades and has influence over many people. So maybe the, maybe the man of lawlessness would be most closely compared to in my head, right? I don't mean objective truth, but in my head, he would probably most closely compared to the spirit of the antichrist. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, that doesn't help me pinpoint who it is. All it does is help you to understand that when Paul or John or Peter, whoever, when they are warning the Christians and wanting them to be careful and watchful, um, they sometimes will pinpoint certain people and like, Hey, keep a close eye on so-and-so. But a lot of times what they're doing is they're saying this movement that is going on, this teaching that is, that is persisting in, around us about Christ has already come or there's another Christ or whatever it might be like, let me just tell you to watch out for as far as the type of person that says this and what, how you know to keep an eye on them or how you know that they should not be followed or whatever. And the things that he says specifically here are pretty, I, th- I think they're pretty general things. Uh, he says in verse four, he exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. Well, that sounds like just most Kings uh, of, you know, most rulers, even of that day. Um, and then he winds up saying that he takes a seat in the temple of God. Again, that, I think that has happened quite a bit, um, proclaiming himself, himself to be God. Well, we can read in the New and Old Testament people who did that. So, uh, I, and I think it may be important also to point out that, um, that this, it was not new information for them because of verse five, right? That don't you remember when I was still with you, I told you about this. So it's not a new thing that just now happened. This is something that they've already known was going to happen, but they just kind of forgot about some of this. Or someone confused them and said, yeah, Paul said this, but let me tell you something else, right? Um, it, it's, it's the same as any deception that we can see throughout time going all the way back to the garden, right? That, that is just what, and we haven't read it yet, but that's the activity of Satan. That's what, that's what happens. So, so how, how many churches have you planted where you, one of the first things you taught them about was the man of lawlessness? <laughs> uh, I can tell you that I don't plan on uh, doing that. Ever. <laughs> like, I mean, I, when I read verse five, I was shocked. I was like, okay, if my, if my understanding of Thessalonica is correct and Paul was only there for a short time, how in the world or why in the world would, would the man of lawlessness and, and the, you know, the apostasy and right. why would that have been part of his teaching? But he's like, I've already talked to you about these things. So, I mean, that's, that's, I'm not saying like I wouldn't do it because I don't understand it. Like I don't understand it. But even if I understood it, the reason I wouldn't do it is I would be like, these are new Christians. They don't need to be distracted with this stuff. They don't need to, you know, ponder and argue over what the man of law says. Well, Paul didn't seem to have that concern. Paul was like, you know what? I'm going to tell them everything, everything I can tell them that they want to know. And I'm going to let the Holy Spirit and them sort it out. You know, what you would expect is let's get the foundational things. Let's talk about God's love. Let's talk about, um, what it means to serve one another. Let's yeah. talk about this. Let's make sure we have certain things in order. Like that's, that's, that's what we see them do at times anyway. So we know that's not wrong to do that. But we also seems very clear, like from early on, he's been warning them about these things. He's been warning them about these influences and he's been telling them that there will be this, man of lawlessness and there will be these this type of person at least that will rise up and these things will happen but you only need to care about it because now you're looking for the coming of the lord so yeah i think it's i think it's kind of shocking that to me just because look i no one no one sat down with me right after i was baptized and said Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let me just tell you, okay? <laughs> I mean, I, 
the Antichrist. <laughs> right. I think I think most of us are taught about Christ coming back. But first of all, I think there are some things that they were dealing with, and that's why the writers are saying things specific for them. But also, that means that if it was happening then, we need to be careful and watchful for the same things as we're looking for Christ to return. So I think it's important. Maybe that's something that we should be incorporating into our teaching with people, even from, you know, an early, when I say early age, I don't mean age as in like youths, but like, you know, babes in Christ, just letting them know that there will be some, some things that you need to watch out for and some teachings you need to be careful for. People will try to lead you away and tell you that you should follow them, that they're the Christ. They'll try to tell you that he's already come. And so you don't need to worry about all this stuff. And yeah, just so maybe that's something to consider as we talk to people and, and teach them. So yeah. would you want to go ahead and read six through 12? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Verse six. And you know what restrains him now so that in his time he will be revealed for the mystery of lawless for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so only will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. So six and seven, so just something that does stand out to me is that there is already something at work. I guess I'll say it that way. The fact that he says, that what is restraining him now. So he, he's already there in, in some way. Uh, and he's already at work in verse seven, but that doesn't mean that I guess he hasn't come in fullness yet, but this man of lawlessness, the son of destruction in some way, like he, he's already kind of there. It seems like, what, what do you think about that? No, he he is there because if you look back in verse three, what he do, he doesn't say that the man of lawlessness will uh, will be born or will arrive. It says he will be revealed, right? Yeah. So, so I mean that's that's an implication that something already exists already, or mm -hmm. someone right exists but hasn't come on the scene, hasn't been revealed, isn't manifest to people. Yeah. So I I think you know six and seven are just further confirming what you're saying he is there this man of lawlessness right. this character or this person or whatever it is right is already in existence but hasn't been revealed there's something restraining him the mystery is already at work right i mean so yeah even though the revelation hasn't happened this this thing that must come before the second coming the man of lawlessness is already present right yeah, I mean, and maybe I suppose it could be helpful to to consider some other scriptures. I don't know if I mean, we really don't have time to go through all of that. If we were doing this in person with our group, we 100% would not have time to go through it because um, we wouldn't even be through verse four right now <laughs> if we were doing this in in uh, in person. But you know, there could be some other scriptures. I mean, it I I can understand it being helpful to go to like Revelation. Uh, maybe I mean, it was Revelation 13, I think, that maybe some people connect to this or going back to some things in Daniel, potentially, um, or Isaiah even. But I, And I'm not saying those things aren't helpful, but I will just say for me, I, I, I take comfort in just understanding that Paul was wanting them to know and realize something that was already kind of in their midst, but had not been revealed yet. And that that principle of just being watchful and not being alarmed or quick, quickly shaken still exists for us today. So like the principle is there, even if like this whole thing, if it was just for that, for those Christians at that time, a specific event kind of thing, then okay. 
Um, but what I also know is that there's no reason for me to think that this is going to be totally different for me because if Christ is still not returned yet, then I don't know why these things would be totally different, right? Like, why would I not need to be watchful if Christ had not returned and to guard my heart and my mind uh, from, from false teaching and other influences? So I don't know if that's helpful uh, for us to think about it that way, but that, that's, that's how I think about it, at least. <clears throat> so, so let's try to get the mechanics yeah, the mechanics laid out here. What what are the mechanics? You've got the man of lawlessness. Mm -hmm. Someone's restraining him, mm -hmm. right? And then what happens? Verse, verse seven, right? Huh? Verse seven. Uh, yeah, verse seven. Yeah. He who restrains him will will do so until he is taken out of the way. So the restraint goes away. Yeah. And then what happens? He's revealed. Verse eight. And then the Lord slays him with his breast. Right. So those are the mechanics. That's just the mechanics of what's happening, right? Um, there's, no, there's no timing in there at all. I mean, there's no discussion of time. Again, it, it's, it's, the, it's the, the point that he's making to these people is that this lawlessness that Jesus is going to slay, to destroy when he comes— it hasn't even been revealed yet. So he can't, it's not that he can't come, but right. his coming won't happen until the thing that he's supposed to slay is like full blown. Like that's how I, when I read revealed, I mean like it's on the world stage. It's wide open. Right. Um, so again, I, I, I really don't think he's, he's trying to give these people some way to diagnose, okay, which Caesar is the man of lawlessness. Yeah. If it's not Nero, because he's nuts, then it's got to be somebody worse than Nero. You know what I'm saying? I don't think he's, he's doing that. Yeah. Um, he's just trying to get them to understand that there's a lot of stuff going on in the spiritual realm and on the spiritual plane that hasn't happened yet, even, even in, in full yeah. for what Jesus wants to accomplish with his second coming. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's, it's almost like when God said, okay, I'm not going to destroy Canaan because the iniquity of the, the, the Amorites is not yet complete. Right. Remember? He's like, I'm going to send you guys down into Egypt for 400 years because the iniquity, it's either the Amorites or the Amalekites, or I can't remember who it was, but their iniquity is not yet complete. At the end of 400 years, their iniquity is going to be complete. I'm going to bring you in and we're going to clean the table. Yeah. So, it feels like that kind of thing. Like Paul is saying, Hey, this iniquity of the man of lawlessness isn't ready. It's not in full bloom yet for Jesus to come in and slay him. That thing's got to come in. It's got to blossom. It's got to grow. It's got to be revealed and manifested. And then when Jesus comes, he slays that thing. Well, like the first step hasn't even happened yet. Yeah. So that's kind of the cool thing that, that, that seems to be say, said here to me is that, um, once he's revealed, that doesn't even, like, it sounds pretty quick that he's going to be dealt with, right? And so it's almost like the revealing still isn't the point because of what he says in verse 8 is that bring to nothing by the appearance of his cut. So, like, his revealing is just to kind of highlight the coming of Christ anyway. Right. So... I'm not saying it doesn't matter for us to think about these things, but if all we're looking toward <laughs> is the coming of Jesus, then what we're really well, waiting it, for is we're waiting for him to wipe out whoever, whatever this, right. this is anyway. Right. Exactly. Yep. But then verse 10 seems like there is something to like pinpoint, like, and to be careful for, uh, be careful to observe maybe even about ourselves as far as maybe some influences from this type of person, because it seems like the people that are uh, following or giving into this, and maybe that's how uh, I read in verse 10 is those who refuse to love the truth and to be saved. These are the, they're people that, that will buy into this teaching and these false things. And he says that those are the ones that are perishing 
And the reason they're perishing is because they don't love the truth. So it seems to really like elevate the truth. And then he says in verse 12, he kind of says they didn't believe the truth that they had been the ones to reveal to these Christians, right? So because you go back to verse, is it verse two, um, seemed to be a letter from us, right? So like they have the truth that's been revealed to them from the apostles. And then they have other people that are going to be kind of sending them other letters and giving them other teachings. It's like, those things are not the truth. You just keep loving the truth. You just keep believing in what has been already given to you. And there is life, there is salvation. You will be saved from all this. And if you look in verse nine, what's accompanying this power and sign and signs and false wonders. Um, we, we have a tendency, right? As, as humans who, who want to do our own thing, we have a tendency to say, well, this thing over here is really convincing, which means I can abandon the truth that I know. Right. And, and we do that on the basis of the apostles worked signs so that their message would be confirmed. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, they came into town saying this man was raised from the dead and then they raised other people from the dead. Right. So now I'm supposed to believe them. Right. Okay. Well, here, here's, here's the difference though. They were bringing good news, something that hadn't been heard. What's happening here in this text is people are coming in teaching something against an established truth. Yeah. Contrary to an established truth, not fulfilling an right. Jesus fulfilled an established truth. In the, in the law. These people are coming and teaching something contrary to an established truth with signs and wonders, right? That confirm the message. Mm-hmm. That is no excuse. If we see someone in, 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 we can't, we can't disprove it. We see someone we think raises someone from the dead. Like, like all, all of our investigative powers we apply and we say, well, it looks like they raised someone from the dead. But they're teaching that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. Yeah. It's a false wonder. We cannot abandon truth because we see something we can't explain, right? Yeah. But, and, and he, put, he, he spells that out crystal clear in verse 9 and 10. When you put verse 9 and 10 together, it's amazing, right? This person has this activity of Satan with power and signs and wonders. But look in verse 10. They didn't receive the love of the truth. That's very convicting, right? Mm -hmm. Because you can say, well, you know what? I do love truth, but this is very convincing. And so I'm going to abandon this truth for this thing that's convinced. Well, then you don't love truth. What you love is being convinced. Right. Yeah. Maybe another thing just uh, to point out is that it's possible to have love for each other increase and to not truly and to not have the love of the truth that we need to have. Uh, I I think, I think that one of the letters, one of the churches in revelation kind of bears that out. I mean, that, that is very possible. We we can truly be loving each other, but what's going to guard us and protect us is, is loving the truth that, that we've received. So. Yeah. And I don't want to get into semantics, but that's Paul makes that point of first Corinthians 13 when he says love rejoices in righteousness. Yeah. Right. Um, part of me loving my brethren is seeing them abandon falsehood and, and hold on to truth, mm-hmm. but just caring for their physical well-being, Yeah. While that's a, that's a manifestation of love. That's a, that's a comparatively. Okay comparatively that's a pretty cheap love yeah um because that body that you're caring for is going to be pushing up daisies one day i mean that's just the fact of the matter yeah pushing up daisies (laughs) pushing up daisies man yeah um well did you did you want to point something else out from verses 11 and 12 uh in the end of verse 12 i thought was interesting they took pleasure in wickedness again uh, we, when, when we find ourselves on the wrong end of a teaching, right? Like 
Maybe we, we, we thought we, we saw something was right and we were teaching this and then we realized, oh, that was, that was not right. That was, uh, I was reading that or understanding that incorrectly. If we've, if we've got the right heart, right, then we're going to change and we're going we're gonna to turn around. But what he's saying here is those people who don't do that, they actually take pleasure in wickedness. And sometimes we don't, we don't, we don't think of false teaching that way. We think of false teachings like, well, they're sincere. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what, and maybe it's not false teaching, but it's those people who followed, right? These aren't the teachers we're talking about. It's, it's the believers. Yeah. Well, they were fooled. Well, they were lied to. Well, you know what? I mean, I, I can't explain how all this happens, but according to God, if you follow a false teaching and you end up in eternity standing before God, the person who taught you bears, bears your blood, but you bear your sin. Yeah. So. Yeah. And again, that's not, I don't, I don't think that means that uh, we don't listen to anybody. No, but we just, we just love the truth. But you don't follow, you don't follow a person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's another good point. Like we don't follow the person. Uh, We follow just Christ. And so if someone's pointing to Christ and they're saying that, well, Hey, look, you can do this though. You can live this way. You can practice these things. You don't have to worry about this anymore, but we see some different things from Christ and we see the apostles saying some different things and what that person says, okay, well, we are not absolved from our unrighteousness and our sin because this person convinced us of something that we have the ability to verify whether or not it's, it's the truth or not. So, and it might also, maybe this also should provide us with a little extra motivation to make sure that like, I want to teach what's true because I know what's true leads people to righteousness and life. And I'm willing to, I'm, I'm willing to really go through some uncomfortable things to, to, try to help people see what the truth is. And I always want to make sure that I'm actually following truth and loving truth the way I need to. So, yeah. All right. So you want to go ahead and do 13 through 17? Yeah. You want me to read it? No, I'll go ahead and read it. I'll let you save your voice. Yeah. Okay. We ought also to give thanks to God for you brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to this, he called you through our gospel so that he may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. I think earlier I made mention of um, of Paul referring back to the teachings uh, that they had already received. And I meant to mention verse 15 about that. I think I mentioned another verse. So um, I, I think that he's just continuing the same thing he's been saying. Uh, we want what's best for you. We want you to continue in the gospel that you were uh, called through. And we want to make sure you're standing firm and holding to what is true and what you were taught, not just because he is the one that taught it, but because he was delivering what was true to them. So, um, and also it's kind of cool that like he's, it says at the end of verse 15, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Oh, that's just kind of cool to say, like, there is an acknowledgement that like, what was there? Well, there was things that were spoken and that was true and they needed to believe in that. But what is on equal footing as far as what is true and what they need to be doing is also what they wrote and what they delivered to them. So it's just kind of nice to like be on this side of things or all we have is the letter. And yet here's Paul saying that's truth. Just like what was spoken in, in the flesh. So, yeah. And it's binding. Yeah. Yeah. What else do you see that, that stands out to you in those first few verses read 13 through 15? Well, really just what he's trying to accomplish, I think, stands out to me. He's not trying to accomplish that, that they, will, um, they will walk out on their porch and look into the sky the moment Jesus arrives. Like, he's not trying to accomplish that they can have this 
like look at their watch and say, no, Jesus is, is not going to be here for another 13 days. You know, what he's trying to accomplish is that where they are, that they're, they're, they're firm. That they're, they're not being, when someone comes into town and says something that's different, that they just completely lose their minds. Like, Oh, what is this new teaching? And how do I, you know, and throw their hands up in the air. He's like, no, someone comes into town, some new teaching. You remember what we said to you. Yeah. And you remember what we wrote to you. And you just chill. Compare right. them. And if they're saying something that is in line with what we said, you know, it's, it's true. Didn't stand in that. And if it's not, well, then you just, you just do away with it. And you stand firm in what you have. So it, it just feels like, even though he's given them a lot of details that, um, to us seem kind of confusing and really vague and don't seem like a bunch of firmness. His, his goal in going through this whole discussion is that they'll, they'll, their response to people will be this. Now I know Jesus hasn't come yet because the man of lawlessness hasn't been revealed because when the man of lawlessness is revealed, Jesus is going to come and he's going to slay him with his breath. Yeah. You know, um, and I haven't seen any of that happen, you know, or, you know, what, whatever. Um, it's, it, 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 it's something that I think we can, we can use today, even though we're not looking for the man of lostness, we can, we can use it to say, look, everything that Paul wrote to them was designed to, to make them more stable, not less stable. So, Am I becoming less stable through my study of scripture? If I am, then there's a problem with me. I should be becoming more stable instead of less. Yeah, that's good. This might sound like a silly question, but do you think that there were some people who were looking, or even today, people are looking for the revealing of the man of lawlessness more than they're looking for the revealing of Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. It's, uh, I, I don't know the right word for it. It's exciting yeah. to say, Oh, I understood a prophecy and I applied it and I saw this prophecy unfold before my eyes. So I'm, I'm seeing directly the, you know, the things that God has revealed. I mean, it, it appeals. I think it appeals to the, to the flesh. I think so too. And I think that when you, so in chapter one talks about the Lord Jesus being revealed uh, quite a bit and that all these people that don't obey him, like there's any punishment, there's going to be all, all this term destruction, vengeance and everything. But like all that was to highlight the glory of Christ. And then we've had this discussion about the man of lawlessness through here. And then you see verse 14. And then he says to this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm looking more towards pinpointing, uh, like I, I figured something out, I got it, like you were saying, then am I really seeking to obtain the glory of Jesus? Or am I seeking some sort of like self-righteousness, to be frank about it? Like I just, I got it. I figured it out. I cracked the code. I, I was right. Okay, well, like how is that? striving to just obtain the glory of the Lord, uh, which means that we just want to see his glory and share in it. Like, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's something also just to be careful with for ourselves and for other people that maybe that we're friends with and they seem to have this attitude. Look, like, I, I just think it's very common. People want, people love to focus on the negative and, you know, they love to think about this terrible thing instead of thinking about like, the great thing like to be honest that's what makes that's what makes movies so compelling sometimes not the superhero but the enemy and how bad and and how much the hero had to overcome well when it comes to when it comes to christ like the focus should never be on the enemy for us as believers the focus is on just the lord coming back so yeah one, one thing I, did, I do wonder about is, so at the end of verse 12, he mentions that 
the, those that are condemned are those that don't believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And I wonder if in verse 13 at the end, he kind of is showing the contrast of those that are not condemned or those who uh, um, they're saved. And how are they saved? Through the sanctification by the spirit. So maybe I would say that that's the, um, instead of having pleasure in unrighteousness, they are having pleasure in righteousness and they're living that out, but also they believe in the truth. So maybe there's some sort of connection there that someone smarter could make a uh, more profound uh, connection there. But I do wonder if those two things are supposed to be related. Uh, believe in the well, truth. Yeah. Yeah. And look in verse 11, there's, there's another parallel, right? A diluting influence compared or contrasted with the spirit. Yeah. You've got a diluting influence and you've got the spirit, the sanctification. And then you've got, believing what is false versus having faith in what is true. So, I mean, yeah, yeah you've got these multiple parallels. Yeah. Well, that's, that's helpful. I didn't, I didn't think about that. That's really helpful. All right. So what he really wants for these people is in verse 16 and 17. Um, he wants them to be comforted there. He wants their hearts to be comforted and he wants them to be established in every good work and word. So I think, I think when he says every good uh, work and word, he wants them to be established in the truth. He wants them to be established and firm in what their life should look like in light of the truth that they have received. And he wants their hearts to be at ease and comforted, which if, if there's just a lot of terrible things going on in the world, then that is one of the harder things to, that's one of the harder things to, try to help someone with right but that's what he's hoping for them that's that's what he wants for them and i think that in our day that 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 probably these are the same three things we should want for each other and want for people who seem to be not not very stable in their faith and just lacking confidence and, and lacking hope really yeah <clears throat> well i mean I, I don't, I suspect that this hasn't been any different since the world was created, but we, 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 we seem to define our trust in God by what he does for us in this world. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's precedent for that because God promised physical things to people and they received physical things. But the overall the, the overarching message of the, of the word about this world is that everything here is going to be burned up. Um, all the works, everything that's been accomplished here is going to be burned up. So if I'm, if I'm defining my, like, okay, I have, I have, you know, I have trust in God because, you know, I'm not, uh, I didn't come down with COVID. Um, well, you know what? Something else is going to kill you. Yeah. And I, I'm not trying to be morbid, but I'm just trying to be like realistic is like if 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 you're defining God's goodness by the fact that you don't have a virus, you, you do understand that one day you're going to die. So on that day that you die, do you lose your faith because God didn't save you? Like what's wrong with you? you, you so the like what you're saying, the comfort that we're supposed to have is not that, you know what, I'm going to make it through this pandemic untouched. Right. That, that might be a comforting thing, but that's not comfort that gets you to heaven. Comfort that gets you to heaven is, okay, here I am in 2020, and there's my death. Everything between here and there, or I guess I should say nothing between here and there, is going to distract me from heaven. Yeah. Nothing between here and there. Well, again, if, I, if I'm... If I have my eyes focused on Jesus, what does that provide for me? Well, I think verse 16, I think that provides me eternal comfort. Right. It's not comfort based in this life. Right. And it's good hope through grace. So there are other forms of comfort and hope, but if it's not something that is based in Christ, something that he is providing and giving, then it's, it's going to come short and it's not going to get me from here to there, as you were pointing out, it's, 
In fact, once I get just a little ways down the road, if that's what I've been putting, if I put it in my comfort and hope in anything other than Christ and him returning and, and eternal things and heavenly things, then like that can really rock my faith. And that could really cause me to question the path from here to there. And I think that, I think that's why he's saying this is that's what's happening for some of the Christians there. Now they, they do have faith that is growing. They do have love that is increasing, but they still need to watch out and they still needed to look to Jesus and, and take their comfort and hope from him and not get distracted by all this other stuff that people are saying and pointing to like, I got the answer for you. Just look at this. Here's, here's the evidence. I'm going to connect these dots this way. No, no, no. Like just kind of, you know, ignore all that stuff. Like, I'm not saying that they don't know anything they're talking about, but as far as you're concerned, you're just looking at Christ and his returning. Um, so we're looking for the same thing they're looking for, right? We just, we need to comfort our hearts. We need to uh, be established by Christ in every good work and word. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to second Thessalonians chapter three, because Paul gets real. He does get real. Yeah. It's like, okay. So, um, like instead of it just being just about like uh, guard yourself, guard your hearts. It's like, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. Uh, Cause you've been listening to some of the stuff that's wrong, you know? Yeah. It's also shorter. So I doubt that we will uh, be going for an hour like we did today so, yeah. or however long this is, but all right. Well, yeah, we'll plan on uh, doing chapter three again next week. And um, hopefully uh, so far it's, it's helpful. It gives us, more things to look at and uh, helps us to, to continue our, our uh, path as far as just trying to study God's word and uh, see the things that Paul wanted them to remember and know and, and to, um, I guess, just look forward to. That's the same thing that we're doing. So, all right, well, uh, do you want to lead us in a, in a prayer and then we'll go ahead and wrap up the recording? Yep, sure. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we've had with your word. We thank you for preserving it for us so that we can read these teachings that your apostles gave to your people. We pray that we will have enough understanding of these things that it will strengthen our faith. and We will not use these things to actually dismantle our own faith or dismantle the faith of those around us, but we'll use them the way they were intended to be used, which is to build each other up, to make each other stand more firm, and to have our attention more on Christ and, and less on the circumstances that we're in and the circumstances uh, between our time here and, and his return. Father, we pray that you would give us the wisdom to be able to do that for ourselves and also the wisdom and courage to be able to do that for those around us. We pray for those who are suffering physically in the world right now. We pray that whatever relief you bring them would be a cause for thanksgiving to you and that it would glorify your name, and that the, the, the people who, who serve them would do so in your name, that you would be recognized and glorified. Father, we pray that you will make us salt and light in the earth, and that we'll have the, the influence and the effect on this world that, that you've designed us to have. These things we pray in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, man. Appreciate it. Yep. See you. All right. Bye.